0: Well, good morning, City Lights, Southwest Iowa. It's so good to be with you guys. I've been looking forward to this moment since I was asked to come two weeks ago. But honestly, it goes back a little further than that. I remember the summer when we walked through here and we were trying to catch a vision of what God might do, and that that has come full circle. Look at this gathering. Look at the four baptisms that we've you guys had. I think community is coming together, and you guys are honestly walking out the gospel. So. I was a small part of it, like I said, coming through, catching vision, but my city group had the privilege of coming out and serving you guys too. You may or may not know it, but we were able to paint this sanctuary, this worship center one night. That was a fun night, um, but it looks great in here. You guys have done some awesome stuff beyond the building. Community is coming together, and the gospel is going forward. Um, so like Jason said, my name is Tyler, and as the director of, college, of the college ministry at Iowa Western, one of the most rewarding things to me this past year and a half as seeing God call his young people in. I can't tell you how many times students have verbalized to me that they don't know where they would be without the college ministry. And that's all glory and praise to God. Also, it's just exciting to see God raise up the future leaders. We've had people that have been able to step out and lead city groups. And also, some people have had times to preach sermons, kind of like what I'm doing here, uh, amongst their peers. And so it's just been really cool just to see God build a family, a culture of young people who are growing in the relationship with him. Um, And if anything else, the gospel is being preached over and over and over again to the young people. So a little bit about myself. Nine years ago, I married my high school sweetheart, Samantha, and um, I love how we met. My best friend, Andrew, was dating her best friend, April, at the time, and they decided to play Cupid. Right? So they introduced us to each other, and by the grace of God, it worked. So fast forward a little bit with me. We now have five beautiful, fun, energetic kiddos, um, all six years and, and under. Uh, did I say energetic, right? <laughs> a ton of energy. There was a comedian that was once asked, who also had five kids. He's like, how, how do you cope? How do you get through life? And he goes, well, sometimes I don't. He goes, really? Well, how does it feel? He goes, imagine you're out in the Pacific Ocean, drowning, and somebody hands you a baby. <laughs> kind of catches a glimpse of our beautiful chaos, but if I'm honest, I wouldn't change it for the world. Well, that being said, uh, this morning, we're jumping in, Matthew 13. We're right in the middle of the story, and this is because we have to save the birth of Jesus for Christmas Eve, right? makes sense. But that being said, I want to give us kind of a backdrop of what's unfolding here in our story. So Joseph and Mary, they're on this journey back to Bethlehem, Joseph's hometown. And they no more than arrive in Bethlehem, and surprise, here comes baby Jesus. And the family can't even find a place to take shelter that night. So they take shelter in the only place available to them, which happens to be a barn. And I love how God also is making an announcement here. Not only was this prophesied, predicted many years before Jesus' birth, Um, But there was also the angels that came to the shepherd and made the announcements. And then there was the star that rested over Bethlehem where Jesus was born. And this would have got some people's attention. Well, it got the wise men's attention. And they came looking for God's promised king, Jesus. And they show up at Herod's place. And Herod, he was a king ruling, but he wasn't a very good king. He was more of a dictator, not a benevolent dictator. He was an evil man. And Herod starts freaking out. What do you mean? There's another king, God's promised king. And so he draws the wise men in secretly, and he says, "Go find this king, this Jesus, so I too can come worship him." Except we'll find Herod's two attentions out here in a little bit. So just when the barn situation started looking up, and the family the family gets a messenger from God that says, "Load up the donkey, take Mary and Jesus, and flee to Egypt." Can you imagine what they must have felt? It's just mind-boggling to me to think of our humble Savior's birth, and what I mean by our savior, humble Savior's birth, in a barn, really, along with his family fleeing for their lives to Egypt. What a comfort it is knowing that Jesus can relate to us, right? It's crazy to think that the king of the universe had to flee for his life, couldn't even find shelter for his birth, but I think he did that to show us his humble beginnings. Jesus isn't above us. He can relate to the most difficult of circumstances and the craziness of life that we may face. The truth is, we have all experienced difficulty in life, but we don't have to go at it alone. So that leads me to my first point this morning, as God is the God of refuge. Refuge means shelter or protection from danger or distress. So I got a quick story. When I was... Uh, needing shelter, I was distressed and there was danger all around me. So it was a nice sunny morning and I decided to take my uh, scooter to work. And that thing topped out about 40. There was a good wind behind me. But anyways, I didn't realize on my way home that there would be this horrible storm and it was getting nasty. I was sitting at the stoplight about five minutes from my house and these winds start picking up all around me and the sky is green. Everybody knows that when the sky turns green, it's not good. So I decided to pull off and take shelter the only place I could, which is at Bailey's Bar. And I no more than just walked through the doorframe, and there was this torrential downpour and hail that begun. And this is a true story. I was sitting, looking out the window, and there was a mattress and a trash can floating down 1st Street in Council Bluffs. I didn't even know that was possible, but thankfully I was able to seek refuge and I was safe. So crazy story. But Bailey's acted as a refuge. Um, but in a lot of ways, guys, the church is a refuge. And when I say church, I mean the people. I have a friend whose sister was in an abusive relationship, and she reached out to one of the members in our church. And that weekend, there was a group of men that showed up at her house, loaded up her stuff, and moved her out in less than two hours. And that gal is safe. And like I said, in a lot of ways, the, the college ministry seeks as a refuge There have been a handful of times that students uh, needed to escape some difficult circumstances that they were in, and other students housed them, you know, for a weekend or even a week. We're not alone in this journey. We can seek refuge by the church, and in the case of the royal family, and when they are on their run to Egypt, they sought refuge in God. This paints a picture of God being our refuge, and it makes me think um, how often is God working out all these small details of our life ahead of time, all for our good, and we aren't even aware of it. He uses unlikely circumstances, people, and places for our good. When I read verse 13, and it says flee to Egypt, if I'm honest with you, unlikely people and circumstances just jumped off of the page. I was thinking, Egypt, really? It kind of brought me back to my Sunday school days where Um, You know, you talk about Moses, and God met him at the burning bush, and he said, go set my people free, and Moses is like, I can't even speak, you know, I can really relate with him sometimes. I'm standing up here, it's like, oh, what's my next words? But he's like, I'll give you Aaron. So he had help, he wasn't alone. So he finally goes into Egypt, and he says, Pharaoh, let God's people go. I'm just paraphrasing, just in case you didn't know. This isn't scripture. (laughs) Hopefully you know the stories too, but anyways, um, it took 10 times, 10 awful plagues that God unleashed on Egypt to finally set the Israelites go. Pharaoh reluctantly agreed, and as they are on their journey to the promised land, they come to this river, and they're trapped. They look behind them, and here comes Pharaoh and his armies. Can you imagine? Closing in on them. So in their distress, they call out to God. God split the waters, did a miracle in their life. They were able to walk across safely, and just as the army approaches, the waters close on them. The Israelites are safe. From their distress. God is our refuge. Herod lied and only cared about himself. And he put the royal family in a scary situation. But the story is just beginning. God has a plan, one he predicted long ahead of time. Church, we can trust God's plans for our lives. We can take refuge in his promises. I pray that God would help us with our first reactions. And what I mean by that. When we receive the news that a loved one is given over to addiction, or maybe the diagnosis wasn't what we hoped it would be, or maybe our our employer comes to us and says, sorry, there's cutbacks. I just pray that our first reactions would be to turn to God in our distress, whether that's in prayer or whether that's reading the scriptures or to our, our family, our church family. Even though Jesus and his family didn't know how everything was going to work out, they knew that they could take refuge in God. They are not alone. God is the God of refuge, and he uses a nation, an unlikely nation like Egypt, to show us that he will fulfill his promises no matter what. So that leads me to my second point this morning. Jesus and the royal family were refugees. Sorry, God is the God of refugees. Jesus and the royal family were refugees, but even in their awful situation, God's promises were good and predicted. No one looks at baby Jesus and says, Nope. Sorry, not willing to house him, right? How many of us would gladly have housed the royal family when they were on their run uh, to give them shelter? What an honor it would have been to house the Savior of the world. But the scripture says that Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head. After seeing his humble birth in the barn, their long journey, and their flight to Egypt, I'm starting to understand that verse in a whole new meaning. At the end of every refugee, like in Jesus' case, There's a tyrannical leader pushing and driving the people out of their homes and their own countries, forcing them to take refuge elsewhere. Most of us in this room have no idea what it's like to be a refugee, do we? But I think we can relate, or we might be able to relate, more than we think here. The Bible says that we are in a foreign land. The book of Philippians says But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, we await our glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the psalmist had this idea about himself as well. He knew what he was saying when he called himself a sojourner on this earth. Just didn't belong. And he asked God, hide not your commandments from me. It's all I need. It's all I have. The truth is, if we feel, the truth is we can feel like spiritual refugees um, in times of our own lives. A spiritual refugee feels like they are living in a foreign land. I remember a time I felt like I was in a foreign land. I was working at a body shop, and I'd been there for one week, one year and one week, and uh, it came time for my raise, and I remember sitting there in the office, and they said, well, all we can do is is an eight-cent raise. And I was like, okay, well, that was a little defeating and crushing to the soul, to say the least. And so... Beyond the, the finger, uh, grinding my fingers to the bone, it was a toxic environment. Uh, there was a lot of swearing. There was inappropriate magazines. It was just hard to work there. And the guys would like and try to get me to cuss. They just thought it was mind-boggling that I just didn't walk around just cussing all day long, I guess. But they loved saying Jesus' name in vain. And they would just yell it out. I don't know if they would smash their finger or what, but they just yelled out, G.D. or Jesus Christ, in name, his name of Aaron, I'd look around and be like, I don't see him because I believe he's coming back. I just thought maybe they saw him before I did. But they, they started laughing. They caught on after a while. Um, but the truth is, Joseph and his family, the newborn baby, were on a flight of their lives uh, because of the injustice that was all around them. Now, doing a little character study on Herod gives us a lot of insight on how this happens even Today. Herod seeks to kill all the baby boys in the area Jesus was born. I know Jason read it, but I want to read it again to us. It says in verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all the region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he ascertained from the wise men. There's no sanctity of life. And unfortunately, this wasn't the first time Herod did something like it. And he's not the last one to do something like it. There's no question that the Bible celebrates diversity in human life. City like God cares about the refugee. He cares about actual refugees. And he cares about spiritual refugees. God is the God of refugees. If God cares, my prayer is that we would care too. Let's take some practical steps in caring for refugees. Maybe there's a family in the church or in your community, and they're having a rough time can I encourage you just to invite them in? Have a meal with them. This would be a great Christmas gift that you could give to them, and chances are it would only add to your family celebration. Now, speaking of families, that leads me to my final point. God is the God of relationships. God created the family to protect one another, to support one another, and in Jesus' case, to carry one another through good and difficult times. The obedience on Joseph's part amazes me. And I think we could learn a thing or two from the life of Joseph. He was listening to, close to, praying to God. And he loved his family. He was committed to them. He protected them in some of the most difficult circumstances that anyone could find themselves to be in. Joseph led his family well. Three times alone in in this chapter, God sends a messenger to him and tells him what to do next in this journey. Now, if Joseph, back in verse 13... What if he would have woke up when God said, take Mary and Jesus, get up in the middle of the night and head off for Egypt? What if he would have woke up and said, oh no, that garlic bread didn't sit very good last night. Or I'll wait until the baby wakes up, right? Everyone knows you don't wake a sleeping baby. But he acted with obedience. Things would have been much different for us if Joseph didn't act on obedience and urgency. He didn't hesitate. He got up in the middle of the night, he loaded up the donkey, Mary and baby Jesus, and he headed for Egypt. So I have a question for us. What has God asked you to do lately, and you've been putting it off? Will you respond with repentance and turn quickly to God and from whatever that is? Maybe it's a hidden sin, and you've made excuses for why it's acceptable. Can I encourage you to leave it with God? After all, he is worthy of our lives. Maybe you don't need to put off something, but you need to turn to someone. Maybe it's a broken relationship, and you need to just step out in faith and humility and be the first one to ask for forgiveness, even if you're not as much to blame for that as the other party. Please don't leave here without, this morning without doing what you know God is asking you to do. But Joseph wasn't untouchable. We read earlier that God did call them out of Egypt, part of his prophecy. But when he went back to, was headed back to Judea, he found out that Archelaus was reigning in place of Herod, which was Herod's son. And Herod, Achilles didn't reign very long, because in a lot of ways, he was more wicked than Herod, and he wasn't as successful. But it says that Joseph was fearful, but in fear, he heard from God. So maybe you felt like you've been in a difficult circumstance in life. I encourage you to turn to God's word so you can hear from him and get guidance and direction as far as he would have you go in life's journey. If it's, it's a comfort to me to know that God is with us on this journey of life, we are not alone. Just as God saw Jesus through when he was most vulnerable, God's promises are true for us as well. The story ends in Matthew 2 with Jesus and his family settling in Nazareth. And we won't hear much from Jesus until he's in his 30s. Jesus lived a life of complete obedience to the Father, accomplishing his will on earth, and is now sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And he'll come back for us, for all those who have repented and believed, and we will be with him forever in the new heaven and the new earth. And no, there will be no more fear. There will be no more persecution. No more refugees. No, we will all take refuge in God. We're not alone, church. God loves you and he cares about you. And we can, he can sympathize with all of our weaknesses and difficulties. He didn't set up this life in a way where it's impossible for you to have a relationship with him. No one is too far gone. Your family, your friends do not determine how close or far away from God you are. As I was writing this, I felt God put this on my heart more than anything, and that is that we can all come close to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus relates to our difficulty in life because he went through it. If the king of the universe was born in a barn and fled for his life in the care of his family's arms, then we too can trust our God, and he will see us through the craziness in our own lives. Whether you've had a family present or you, and have been a part of your life protecting and guiding you, or you grew up without a parent or parents, God loves you and he cares about you and he can relate to each and every one of those broken situations you are facing or have yet to face. You don't have to seek refuge anywhere else. You don't have to turn back to Egypt. God has called you by name. He knows you, he sees you, and he loves you. There is, a, there is no person in this world that is too high or too low too rich or too poor, barely educated or highly educated, that God doesn't know, love, and see. And his promises are good for us, like I've been saying. uh, He has given us a hope and a future. His promises are not to harm us, but to give us peace despite the difficulty that we might find ourselves in. Maybe you felt like you've been on a long journey of life and you're living in a foreign land. I just want to give you comfort this morning knowing that God sees you and he loves you. I love how God uses the family, Joseph and Mary, to protect Jesus along the journey. But God also uses our spiritual family too. We're not alone. Maybe you don't have an earthly family to turn to in good or difficult times. But even if you do, city groups are for all of us. I just want to share what city group has meant to me personally. Recently, my city group teamed up with another city group. And we had our first night two weeks ago. We meet on Wednesday nights And from the first night, it really felt like family. Uh, And we had awesome food. It happened to be appetizer night. Now, who doesn't love buffalo wild wings, um, some pigs in a blanket, and good old cheese dip, right? And a vegetable tray, right? (laughs) Confession, there's always a vegetable tray. Somebody always brings one, and God bless their heart for that. But every time I get up for my second plate of food, it's like the vegetable tray jumps off the counter and is like, you should really eat me instead. Then there's this battle going on inside, like, should I really but anyways, that's thankfully one of my biggest um, struggles with Citigroup. And like I said, from the first night that we teamed up, it really felt like family. Uh, people were opening up and sharing wins and hurts. They were sharing things that like, families wouldn't even want to talk about. And if they did, they would want to keep in the dark. Although there were many diff- different stories and backgrounds, a couple of them stood out to me. One gal was seeking guidance and refuge as far as what to do in her situation. She happened to be in an abusive situation. Her husband, who she's married to, for years, uh, just treating her horribly, to say the least. And she's just saying, how does God view this? What would God have me do? And it was neat just to be able to speak life into her situation. And then there's also a family who was almost torn apart due to adultery in their marriage. But they're taking steps towards forgiveness and healing, and there's hope in Jesus Christ. And so those are just a couple of the stories that night where I felt like I walked away knowing I could take refuge in my spiritual family. So that being said, I find peace knowing that our spiritual families are for us, on our sides. That's true, not for mine, but for all of us. They are, I'm not, we're not alone. I know for some of us, we might be, there might be true heartache and legit reasons why we don't want to attend Citigroup. Maybe like Jesus, you felt driven out of church, or out of a small group in the past. Maybe you don't feel like you're welcome. And like Jesus, you had to seek refuge in Egypt. Jesus has given us a gift of relationships where we're not alone or where we're not left out. A spiritual family where we're able to help one another, where we can encourage each other and where we can grow closer to the heart of God. A spiritual family is where we can walk away a little bit more like Jesus. That kind of community, those kinds of relationships, that kind of family matters. It isn't always pretty, but we don't have to go at it alone. God is the God of refuge, of the refugees, and of relationships. Let's pray, church. King Jesus, I'm just thankful for your goodness. I'm thankful for this opportunity. I just pray that, uh, Lord, you would accomplish that work in our hearts, knowing that we are not alone is such a comfort, knowing that we can seek refuge in you uh, gives us hope. Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, walk out of here mending broken relationships, only adding to that which you've already started uh, in this community. And I pray, God, that you would just bless us along this life's journey. No matter how difficult it's been, I'm thankful that your promises are good for us and we can lean on your truth. Um, Lord, I pray you guide us, and uh, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.